You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Katie, dear Abby, not many years ago, you obtained the gift that Jesus described to Nicodemus in the gospel lesson. You were born from above. You were baptized. By baptism, you entered into and now see the kingdom of God. On that day, you were born of God and you were welcomed into his family. God became your father. Jesus, God's son, became your brother. And the Holy Spirit is now your comforter and your advocate. No longer are you merely human beings born of the flesh. But then on that day of your baptism, you became a Christian, born of water and the Spirit. On that day, you gained an inheritance, a very special, very special gift, a pure and undefiled garment of righteousness, which Jesus has washed white with his own blood, and that he has adorned with the jewels of his good works. Now, the world can't look at you and see the dress of your righteousness, but you see it. You see it by faith. You you see it whenever you hear that Jesus loves you, that he died for you, that Jesus is coming again in glory to give you eternal life. And with this dress of his righteousness, you will enter into the wedding banquet. Not one person on that day will question your right to be there. The doors of the banquet hall will be open and inviting, and your Lord, your Jesus, will be standing there on the threshold, and you will see him with your eyes. You will see him with your resurrected eyes. And on that day, your baptism will be complete. Now, all of this you have believed and you have confessed from the moment the pastor poured the water upon your heads as it was joined to and combined with God's name, his word. And though your parents or your sponsors spoke your confession of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed on that day, I want you to know and to believe that from that moment to this moment today, you have trusted and have clung to every single word of that confession. In a few minutes, you will have the opportunity to make that same confession of faith with your own voices. As women who are about to enter into public, civil, family, and church life, you're about to make uh, your life's definitive profession of faith, both before the presence of God and before the presence of men. It's always easy to say this, you know, to confess our faith when you're surrounded by so many friends and family. But you also know that the days are evil. The sun is setting on this world. And I hope that you know that the devil fights with every last ounce of his venom to try to wrench away from you your courage to confess to confess Jesus' name that was given to you in baptism. 
But Katie and Abby, I want you to know that you are not going to make this confession by your own reason or by your own strength. God helps you. He is with you. And today and in the days to come, the Holy Spirit given to you in your baptism will give you boldness to confess both the majesty and the comfort of your God. And that's what I want to talk about today in in the sermon in general, which is really nothing more than a letter that I want to write to you two. (laughs) But I'll let the rest of the congregation in on it, if you don't mind. (laughs) Let's start off by what it means to confess the majesty of God. You see, majesty is supposed to describe a sense of greatness that is above and beyond oneself. Uh, but the word majesty is, is, you know, one of these overused terms today. Uh, I think I was watching a baseball game a couple of days ago uh, when the announcer said, that was a really majestic home run. It was only like, what, 350 feet. I've seen longer home runs, but apparently it was majestic, you know. There are majestic soccer goals, <laughs> majestic monuments. All of this sounds cool, but it's, it's, it's hyperbole, right? It, it's, an over, it's an overuse, an exaggeration of what is actually there. Now, I think you get closer to the sense of majesty when you call, like, uh, uh, I don't know, the front range, the Rocky Mountains, majestic. Or you address the Queen of England by Her Majesty. When you do that, you're, you're saying that these things have something that you don't. That they possess something that you don't have. But nevertheless, we have this modern temptation to reduce the Rocky Mountains to just another pile of rocks. Or to think of the Queen of England as just another human being, no different from you. And to a point, that's true. But then again, we, we take this attitude and we apply it to everything in it that we have experience with, right? Unless you, can ra- unless you can wrap your head around it in some way, unless you can reduce it to a point of understanding, then it's not worth respecting. And it's not worth believing in. And so the question now begins uh, to come to us, uh, how are we then as Christians to think of God? How are we to think of his word? Especially when believing in God and confessing his word involves something as difficult as confessing the Athanasian Creed. (laughs) Now, Katie and Abby, I hope you realize that catechism class that you have been through in the last two years, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be difficult. If anything, I hope you've discovered how unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Because these past two years, you haven't been trying to discern the nature of an apple or an orange, but you've been looking in, you've been peering into the mysteries into which angels long to look and to understand. In fact, this is the truth. The Scriptures, God's own Word, they don't allow us to wrap our heads around the mysteries of the Christian faith. You can't put the Holy Trinity on a dissection table and pull it apart to figure out how it works. Nor can you put the person of Christ on a dissection table to try to figure out how how the two natures are joined together in the unity of His person. How God has become man. The Athanasian Creed only outlines the boundaries of what we can say about the Trinity and the person of Christ according to scriptures. It makes no pretensions whatsoever of trying to unravel 
the depth of the mystery. It only separates how we speak about the mystery truly so that we don't speak about God in error, so that we don't set ourselves outside of what the Holy Scriptures say about God. Now, certainly, you can get done with trying to confess the Athanasian Creed and in the frustration of pride, you might want to be like Nicodemus and say, how can these things be? How can it be that when I unfold God's name that was given to me in my baptism, that it only becomes harder and harder and more difficult to understand? But the difficulty of God's name, this pleases God. He wants you to know that he is not like anything that you can find in creation that can be analyzed and mastered through understanding. And when you realize that you're not capable of grasping the answer to the question, how can these things be? Then you start to understand what it means that God is your creator and that you are his creature. And though the devil always likes to say that you can be like God, you finally realize, no, that's not true. That's a lie. I can't be like God. I am very different from God. Because unlike the majesty of things in this world that can be reduced away by our analytic methods, God's majesty is unassailable. And though our sinful flesh can certainly cause us to try to ignore the majesty of God or to escape from it, you can't. The voice of God shakes the foundations and the thresholds of this creation of heaven and earth. His glory fills the earth. And woe to the man who says in his heart, there is no God. The scriptures are clear. God is coming to judge the living and the dead. And you and I must give an account to our Creator, to our Maker. Now, in the face of this, I don't know what else you can really say except what Isaiah said. Woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. But the majesty of God doesn't stop, doesn't stop in His greatness and insofar as it terrifies you. But the majesty of God also extends into the fact that God is kind towards you. It extends into the fact that he loves you. Because the same majestic voice of God that that speaks and shakes the earth also now speaks through a man. A man who is God's own son. And he says to you today, your guilt, your guilt I take away. Once again, we can ask, how can these things be? How can God become a man, and how can he speak words of mercy and kindness to a person like me, a sinner? How is it that I, in any way, deserve the kindness or the mercy of God? And if I don't, how can he find it in himself to die for my sins, to make me righteous? Thanks be to God. The words of the confession of our faith aren't given for our mastery of understanding. They're given, <laughs> they're given for your belief, for your trust, for your comfort. You see, the flesh 
our human flesh here avails nothing. The Holy Spirit alone can give you what these words require. And this is what Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, that no matter how bright of a theologian you think you, you are, you know, no matter what the experts might say about the existence and the nature of God, what's required from you of first importance is that you hear the words of Jesus and that you believe them. And this is only possible by the faith that is supplied by the Holy Spirit himself that was given to you in your baptism. Now, insofar as the majesty of God is supposed to be hard and impossibly hard, so also is the comfort of God that you also confessed easy, (laughs) incredibly easy. And it's only by beginning with this comfort that you can understand when Jesus speaks of heavenly things. And so you can see this even in the gospel lesson, right? So Nicodemus and Jesus are going back and forth concerning the nature of baptism, of rebirth by water and the Spirit. Nicodemus obviously doesn't understand it. He can't understand. He can't wrap his head around it. And so what does Jesus do? He speaks to him in kindness, not in condescension, but in the kindness that Nicodemus needs to hear. And he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you struggle to understand the rebirth of holy baptism, then at least listen to this. Remember how Moses lifted up the bronze serpent. Remember how all the people who were bitten by the fiery serpents would look up at the bronze serpent and that they would be healed and they would live. So also I descend now from heaven so that I can be lifted up on a cross. Look at me when I am being put to death. Believe that I have become the serpent for you, that I bear your sins, and you will have eternal life. The Christian faith is that simple. It's that easy. And it requires no effort on your part. This is the heart of the faith given to you, Abby and Katie, in your baptism. That Jesus died on the cross to save you. And if you have the comfort of this crucified Jesus, all the other articles of the divine majesty that, that we struggle to wrap our heads around in the Athanasian Creed, they will all follow behind. That is because you don't arrive at confessing the glory of the Trinity or the personal union of Christ unless you first come to faith that Jesus has died on the cross, and you say, yes, this is my Lord who loves me, who died for me, that I may not perish, that I may have eternal life. And this is exactly how God first wants to meet you and how he primarily wants to meet you, in the humility of his son's death, in the humility of his condescension to save you from your sin. Now, if this is how God wants to meet you, then consider the joy that is set before both of you for the rest of your lives. The joy that you have in hearing this loving God's word in marveling at his mysteries and confessing his majesty. I hope you understand that confirmation is 
quite literally the opposite of graduation. (laughs) It's a public, it's an outspoken continuation of what has already been given to you in baptism that, that lasts even to the point of death and beyond death into your resurrection. You see, your spiritual birth has gained its voice, and your voice is, glow, is growing in, in clarity and in confidence as you continue to study the Holy Scriptures. Your faith is now seeking understanding in as far as possible, in as far as the Holy Scriptures allow. Now, that's not so that your faith can be replaced by some sort of scientific certainty, but so that your knowledge of the Scriptures might sustain your comfort, your comfort in, in Jesus who dies to take away your sin. And so I'm telling you today, stay close to Jesus. The devil, the world, and your flesh are always close at hand, and they're waiting for their moment to snatch away and to choke the simplicity of your faith. They're going to tell you that the Scripture's teachings are too hard for you to believe, that all this talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the natures of Jesus, that all of this isn't worth dying over. And apart from Jesus, you can't help but fall into their trap. Because your flesh and and my flesh, it's, it's too weak. Jesus is your vine, and you are his branches. And today, for the very first time, he's going to give you the faith sustaining sap of his body and his blood. Now, I said at the beginning that you can't. Make your confession this day without help. But here, in this Jesus church, God comes to you to help you, to feed you with his word and with his holy sacrament. And it is through these means that the Holy Spirit sustains and strengthens your faith so that no matter what traps your flesh may lay for you, no matter what traps the devil has in store for you, you can be confident that Jesus, your Savior, still has you in the palm of his hands. Now, someday soon, you might also have the joy of being parents, (laughs) mothers of children that you're going to bring to the baptismal font so they too can be born of water and the Spirit. Someday, your children are going to ask you about Jesus. And you're going to tell them everything that you've learned from Holy Scriptures everything that you've learned from Sunday school, from confirmation class, and even, uh, in, even in your study of the Scriptures after this day. You're also going to tell them to look to Jesus who died for them. You're going to tell them about their perfect and pure garment of righteousness that he has bought and washed for them. In short, you're going to, to tell and preach to them the majesty and the comfort of the triune God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, Abby and Katie. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. 
For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.